I'm coming up on 40 years of continuous sobriety. I don't know why and how it happened, but it happened. I was just 23 when I came in. Now I'm an old man. I don't know what happened. It just jumps. Uh, it just it's just takes over. Um, I have a home group here in Kernersville or High Point, North Carolina. That's where I'm, for, I'm living in North Carolina. And uh, it's called the Serendipity Group. It meets three times a week. It's a very service-oriented home group. We have a Saturday morning meeting, a big book study at eight o'clock. We have on Monday at 7.30, we have a big book study. And then on Thursday, we have a As Bill Sees It uh, study. So home group is really in the literature and it's also very, very active in service. A um, little bit about my history, not much. Because uh, uh, when I tell you that I'm an alcoholic, you guys already know everything. <laughs> I'll have to give you details. Um, but there's, there's two things that I like to read before I, I start my share. One's out of the, uh, one's about the traditions. And, um, and it talks about tradition five. It says, each group has but one primary purpose to carry the message to the alcoholic who still suffers. It says here, better do one thing well than many badly. The life of our fellowship, the life of our fellowship depends on these principles. The ability of each AA to identify himself with and bring recovery to the newcomer is a gift from God. Passing on this gift to others is our one aim. Sobriety can't be kept unless it's given away. And that talks about our singleness of purpose and why we do this. And, and the other thing I like to, to read about is in Dr. Bob's opinion, my book's falling apart. I got duct tape on it and it's, you know, half of it's here, half of it's there. So I got to make sure that, uh, you know, it's actually been you mute. Yep. So this is out of our, our, one of our founders, Dr. Bob's Nightmare, and it's on page 180. And it talks about why he, why he does what he does in Alcoholics Anonymous. It says, I spent a great deal of time passing on what I've learned to others who want and need it badly. I do it for four reasons. The first reason is, is a sense of duty. The second is because it's a pleasure. The third is because in doing so, I am paying a debt to the man who took time to pass it on to me. And fourth, because every time I do it, I take, I take out a little more insurance for myself against a possible slip. And that's what he did, and that's what I was taught. I picked the book up. <laughs> that's what I was taught. Those are the reasons I do it. So um, as I said, I'm, I'm an active member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I do qualify from all the other programs, including AARP, uh, AAA, and any of the other ones um, that you might have out there. Uh, I'm, I'm, but I'm an active member of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's, that's where my meat and potatoes is. And when I'm in Alcoholics Anonymous, I speak the language of Alcoholics Anonymous. When I go to other programs, I speak the, the language of those programs. And I respect the, the, the boundaries of each and every one of them. So, um, like I said, I do have a home group. I have a sponsor. And my sponsor actually knows who I am. Um, he actually has my phone number in his, in his phone. Uh, we don't talk all the time, but we talk, we talk when we need to. Uh, I sponsor men. I currently have seven 
seven knuckleheads that I sponsor. Let's see, one, two, three are on here. <laughs> um, and I and I am very active in service. Uh, as we, Josh and I were talking a little bit before the meeting, uh, uh, and I'll get into the, the service work that I do. So how did I how did I get involved in Alcoholics Anonymous? At 23 years old, I knew nothing of alcoholics. I knew no alcoholics, or I didn't think I did. Um, I didn't come from a uh, family of alcoholics till later on when I realized what they were. <laughs> I knew nothing about this. So what happened to me was I was in the military and um, I got in some real bad trouble. And I had a choice of going to prison or going to a uh, alcohol rehab center. And I felt at the time going to an alcohol rehab facility was a lot, a lot less than going to prison. Um, the military frowns upon the things that I did. So um, I was forced, I, I tell you this, I was forced into Alcoholics Anonymous. I got sent to a 45 day rehab. And that's where I learned, I learned all this new language of Alcoholics Anonymous. So if you're new, I don't know uh, what the crowd is, uh, long-term sobriety, short-term sobriety, mixture, whatever like this, but I'll tell you what, what is, if you're new to Alcoholics Anonymous, you must be confused by the language that we use. Because when I came here, there was no one who spoke like I did. I, I never had any friends that came up to me and asked me how my inner child was. So I got an AA. Nobody ever asked me about my relationship with the God of my understanding. Nobody even cared if I was in a good mood or a bad mood. Until um, I got here. You know, I, I, I had to have somebody translate for me the words of Alcoholics Anonymous. See, I drank like everybody else did. Um, I, I started when I was young. I took whatever you gave me and I mixed all those kind of things out of my dad's bar. You know, you put a little of this, a little of that, a little of that. Just enough so the water when you added back into the bottles wasn't so noticeable. That's how I started my drinking. I had an older brother who introduced me to all the other dry goods. And, um, and I liked it all. There wasn't, there wasn't anything that I didn't really, uh, really enjoy. So um, the people around me, drank like I did, they, um, they talked like I did, and they acted like I did. So I didn't see any problems out of why that was unacceptable behavior. I didn't see why the things that was going on in my life were different than anybody else's because they weren't. They were just like the people who were around me. So when I uh, was introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous at 23 years old, I walked in the rooms and there was nothing but old people there. I mean, they were like 40, 45 years old. And, and, and I, I had no clue how they would ever relate to me. Um, they were, uh, I heard the word God at my very first meeting and I thought, oh Lordy, what's happened to me? I've joined another cult. I said, I don't, I don't wanna get into this kind of stuff, but I had no choice, I was forced into it. Luckily, um, what part of my um, plea bargain with the military was that I was, for the remaining three years of my enlistment, that I was mandatory to go to Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. I was mandatory um, urinalysis test every week and I had to um, take antabuse. And um, that was it, it was either that or go to prison. So I did that. And thankfully it was what I needed. I was forced into this cult. I was forced into this, this thing. I had to go, I had no choice. 
I, I, I said to myself, I'm going to go to these meetings, but I'm not listening, of course. You know, I don't want to hear anything they got to say. Nothing is relevant to me. And, um, but I don't care. You sit in these rooms long enough, you're going to hear something. There was, you know, they used to say all the time, if you come here long enough, you'll hear your story. And, and I started to hear bits and pieces of things that made a, a little bit of sense to me. So um, I did that. I completely did that. Uh, and then when I got out of the service, I was married with two small children. And um, I had a choice. I went from, and I got sober in California. So there were big, big meetings. I mean, if people would go out after the meetings, you know, 30, 40 people going out to dinner. Um, you know, sometimes I thought they were just going out to sing like Kumbaya and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, they went and they did fellowship. They did a lot of things. I mean, I made, made new friends, friends that had, um, you know, some, some really cool things to do. So if you're new and you're thinking that you're never going to have fun again, um, basically that's up to you. But there are a lot of fun people in Alcoholics Anonymous. The crazy thing is people who are in Alcoholics Anonymous are the people you used to drink with and told you all the stuff that they wanted to do. Now they got the money to do it. And they're looking people for, looking for people to do that with. So, you know, there's a lot of different opportunities to go out and fellowship and stuff like that. Um, so I had a choice when I got out of the service, do I want to stay in Alcoholics Anonymous or not? And for some reason, um, my life had gotten better. There wasn't, there was a lot less chaos. There was a little bit of journey towards God. There was a lot of these little things, but I, you know, I was in a transition period. How did I get from the point where I couldn't stand to go to Alcoholics Anonymous? And, and this happens for each and every one of us. We have this journey of where we want to go to AA more than we want to go back or go to that other lifestyle. I had to find a way to bridge that gap, bridge that journey between, because I really wanted to go back to those other things. And like a lot of other people in the rooms, I tried going to the bars and not drinking. I tried going to the parties and not drinking and, you know, having five little straws in my Coca-Cola so I wouldn't get it mixed up and, and all that stuff. But there had to come a time where I had to cut that tie. I had to cut that tie from, from trying to hang on to that old life to hanging on to this new life. To trying to, you know, what's gonna encourage me to go to Alcoholics Anonymous? And I think about that today. I mean, almost 40 years later, what encourages me to stay here? I mean, I, I've read the book enough. I've read all the books enough. I've gone to enough meetings. You know how many horrible cups of coffee I've drank over these years? How many uncomfortable seats I've sat in? Yet, I'm still coming to these things. Why? What's there, what's there in the room for me? And each and every one of us has to find that, that need to be here. You know, because it's real easy for us to say, and we, some of us have said, I don't need those meetings. I don't need to call that sponsor. I, I'm definitely not calling it. They wanted, my sponsor made me call three people a week for my first year. New people, not people I already knew, but three new people. And then on Friday, I have to give him the number and names and numbers so he can call and check on me because he knew I was a liar. And uh, I, could, you know, I couldn't get away. But what I asked him to do, when he asked me to do that, I said, why? He says, because it'll help you pick up that phone when you're hurting. It'll reduce the 500 pound phone to almost nothing because you got in the habits. I thought, how smart was he? That was absolutely amazing. So, you know, I use that on my sponsees nowadays too, but 
no, I had that choice. And there came a time in my recovery where I said, I don't need to go to this anymore. I don't want, I, I really don't want to go. And I went from big meetings in California out to Norfolk, Virginia, when I was getting out of the Navy, to Norfolk, Virginia, where people were sitting around spitting in cups, you know, and that really just kind of blew me away. There, I went from 50, 60, 80 people at a meeting to four, five, 10 people at a meeting. And I was really disheartened with Alcoholics Anonymous at the time, but something told me that I, I, I needed this. Well, I talked about that sponsor. I got a, you know, I got a sponsor and um, for me, a sponsor was a translator. I needed somebody to translate the words of Alcoholics Anonymous into a language which I personally would understand. Because at 23, 24, 25 years old, I'm thinking, you know, why am I an alcoholic? Maybe I only went through a kind of a phase, you know, a little bit. And it even said in the book, there's got people go through phases. You know, there's the, 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 the drinker, this, the hardcore drinker, and then the alcoholic. And I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, things weren't really that bad. I was convincing myself that things weren't that bad. When I got in trouble, I was facing 107 years of prison time, and things were not that bad. You know, that's what my disease says to me. See, my disease makes unacceptable behavior become acceptable behavior. Has that happened to you? You know, my disease tells me I'm not as bad as that other person. Yet at one point in my life, people were saying, I hope I never get as bad as him. And that him was me. So this disease would take me, it was taking me down that path. Excuse me. So at a point, I had to have my translator um, explain to me about alcoholism. Because it says in our literature, it says we need to learn about our disease. Because, you know, when we get to the steps, I can't, I can't define that my life, that I'm powerless over alcohol unless I learn about that disease. And he had to translate that to me. And he said, I asked him, I said, why do you think I'm an alcoholic? He says, well, let me tell you why I think you are an alcoholic he wanted to play my little game. He said, let me ask you a question. When you ingest alcohol into your system, can you predict the outcome of the evening? And I went, well, not really, not, but that's everybody can't do that. He says, oh yeah, there are people who will take like one or two drinks and then stop and go on their merry way. He says, when you ingest alcohol into your system, do you drink without permission? Do you continue? Do you, do you ever say to yourself, I'm only going to have two beers and next thing you know, it's Tuesday? I'm like, well, yeah, that always happens to everybody every once in a while. He says, no, it doesn't. He says, when you ingest alcohol in your system, do you start thinking about the next one? Do you hide alcohol in your system when your friends come over? I mean, in your, uh, in your house when your friends come over? So you have their stash and then you have your stash just in case they drink all of yours? He says, that's not normal behavior. He says, that's alcoholic behavior. See, he had to explain to me why I should be thinking I might have a problem with alcohol. He says, when you ingest alcohol in your system, do you, um, the stuff, he didn't say it that nicely. He said, but the stuff happened to you that doesn't happen to other people. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. He goes, well, maybe you want to start considering those things. He never said anything about the craving or the, 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 um, the other stuff that it says in the book. He had to keep it very simple for me. And had explained to me why I would 
fit into this category of Alcoholics Anonymous because if I do not understand my problem, if you do not understand your problem, you will never understand the solution that works for it. Because if I don't believe that I have that problem, no solution will work for it. So he had to explain to me what my problem was and then he had to tell me about the spiritual principles. See, I learned the steps via the spiritual principles. And he first said, uh, the first step is that of honesty. You know, we hear in the meeting all the time, you gotta do the first step. We try to, we try to achieve perfection in the first step. And he said, that's about honesty. He says, because if you don't understand honesty, how can you admit that you're powerless? You'll lie to yourself. If you don't have honesty in your life and you don't learn the concept of honesty, the other 12 steps are not going to work because you will justify and make excuses for everything. And before you know it, you make enough excuses to be out of this program. He said, honesty equals truth. And when you learn the truth about yourself, who you are, what you are, where you are, where, why you do the things you do, then and only then do you gain a little bit of humility. And he defined humility as me knowing my, where I am in God's world and where God is in my world. And he says, when I have that little bit of humility, then I'm on a spiritual path. So honesty equals truth equals humility equals spirituality for me. The spiritual principle of step one. I must, must, must believe that I am an alcoholic as much as I believe I'm a boy. There can be no doubt. There can be absolutely no doubt because once I believe that, then the solution to the problem of alcoholism takes merit. It takes hold. It allows that to work. And it says the spirit, the solution is a spiritual, one of a spiritual solution. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, this stuff is so deep. Can't I just drink a little bit? You know, can't I just, like, I promise I'll only drink on the weekends. But that never worked out. I never picked up a drink since, since that day. But I have, to, I have to understand. I have to understand my disease. And I need that sponsor. I need that network to be able to define in terms that I understand. And he would say things to me like, when you ingest alcohol in your system, shit happens. It's that simple. It doesn't happen to other people. It just happens to you. You're always going to be the fat kid who gets caught running. Everybody else runs. You're the last in line. You're the first to get nabbed. That's what happens to us. And I was like, wow, you're right. <laughs> I was always the one getting in trouble. So I had to find a way to make myself believe that I'm an alcoholic as much as I believe I'm a boy and to find out and have faith and truth in that the solution that's put in, presented to us in that book, which says it's a spiritual solution, I have to be able to believe in that. And the honesty came when I was able to define that this is a disease, threefold disease, spiritual, mental, and physical. See, for me, the physical part of it wasn't that critical. I was still young. I didn't, you know, I didn't have the problems that they described in that book of the first 100, because remember that first 100 that they wrote all this stuff about? My heroes? My heroes were the derelicts of the world. They were the people that nobody trusted, nobody liked. They threw them away in institutions. They had no value and no use for them, right? But they came up for a solution to stay away from a drink one day at a time that nobody else ever came up with. No doctor, no educated person, no priest, no rabbi, no religious person. None of them could come up with a solution that would help 
the common alcoholic like us, except for those who had been there. And my sponsor started telling me about this first 100 and some of the history of Alcoholics Anonymous. And he said, you know what? These guys came up with a solution. It said in ABCs, no human power could relieve our alcoholism. These guys said, the only way you can do that is to, um, is to find a God of your understanding. Now, see, I, I really tried hard to stay away from God because if he ever found me, then I'm going to have to, you know, I'm going to have to make amends. I'm going to have to own up to what I did. And that scared the bejesus out of me. But in our book, it said that these first 100, these derelicts, these bums, these, you know, my heroes, my heroes who wrote these words in the, of Alcoholics Anonymous, they, they came up with a solution that worked for what I, for what it was going on in my life. So if the solution worked, I must have the problem. If I have the problem, then the solution will work, and it goes hand in hand. And the only thing that I had problems with was it was called alcoholism. You know, that gave me a bad taste in my mouth. So I had to get over that. And I had to go through the steps with a sponsor. My, my first sponsor, Jack Breen from California, he walked through this book with me line by line. The big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, he took me through that book line by line and answered every one of my questions. Every single question I had, every argument I had, he gave, he took time. He took time to sit with me so that I would understand it. And if you're a sponsor, give that time to your sponsees. Give them that value. Make them feel worthy by sitting and spending time with them. It's just like, you know, if he wouldn't have explained it, and I had a lot of, I, I thought it was very, very intelligent. So, you know, I thought I'd go through this book pretty quickly and uh, we would move on to other fun things. But um, I've, I stayed away from it for a while and then I went back to it and studied it. And I tell you what, that is a magical, magical book. They put stuff in it every week that I never saw before. It just keeps, you know, I read something and I say, wow, I never heard that before. But, you know, my first sponsor, when he spent the time to do that with me, it said right in where uh, Dr. Bob's nightmare. I, I, this, I pay back the man who did this for me. That's why I do it with my guys. I'm paying back the time and energy that that man took to explain to me because he didn't have to. And I wasn't easy on him. And I've been really blessed to have sponsors of men of honor. I've had sponsors of guys who have been real jerks. I hate them. I mean, there's some guys that I still like to punch, but they showed me things that I didn't know. They, they touched things inside me because one is I spent the time with them and they spent the time with me. You know, I had to be there as much as they did. I couldn't get this program sitting on my couch with the, with the remote in my hand. I, it doesn't work that way. You have to get out and be active. You have to find, each and every one of us has to find our way into the middle of Alcoholics Anonymous to the spot where we are comfortable, where we get to find that contented sobriety, where we feel comfortable in a room full of alcoholics. Took me a while. Took me a while to find that out. Um, I didn't like a lot of the meetings. I had to go to different meetings. Uh, they didn't have young people's meetings when I was out there. Um, they had, you know, the... They, they just had a lot of study meetings and a lot of sponsorship meetings, and a lot of service. And I always had sponsors who had this infinity of doing service in the prisons. My very first meeting out of my rehab was a, a men's workhouse in San Diego, California. And that's where we went to the first meeting. They served breakfast in the morning while we were having a meeting. And then um, 
and I got involved in that and I've been involved in service. It's very, very active. I'm, I'm currently the, uh, the district chair for, uh, for the in prisons in my area here. And I also have been um, attending prison meetings since bringing, carrying a message into prisons since I got sober. And uh, I currently have two commitments right now that although the COVID has stopped them, but when this craziness goes away, I'll be able to go back into two different prisons, one on Monday night, one on Wednesday. The meeting before this meeting, that's where we were. Charlie was there, Carlos was there, um, uh, Roger was there. We were, we were there at that meeting before this meeting of the guys who, although we can't go into the institution right now, what we do is we have all us guys, <clears throat> we have a meeting on Wednesday, just like at the same time slot that we were going into our institution. We record it and we send, take the recordings and we bring them into the, we bring them into programs and the programs that the institutions allows them to watch those watch those CDs of our meeting. And it really is powerful and it's the only thing they got right now. Um, so I've always been service. I take a lot of commitments, uh, do a lot of institutions, but see, this gets me in the middle. This keeps me active because without that, I'm sitting on the couch. I would love to be able to sit on the couch and watch. I'm lazy. I'm really lazy. I would love to just be sitting on the couch, but you know what? I wouldn't have what I have today if I sat on the couch. I wouldn't have the opportunities to be of service to other people. Um, my journey into the acceptance of Alcoholics Anonymous, my disease and staying in the middle of Alcoholics Anonymous has been an active participating in a home group. I've had an active home group. I've had sponsees and I've had a sponsor and I do service. This is what pushes me into the middle because if you're on the fringe of Alcoholics Anonymous, I'm telling you what, you're going to get picked off. You're going to get picked off. Right now, I mean, I don't know how many people say, I hate Zoom meetings. I absolutely just hate Zoom meetings. Well, you know what? They didn't have any meetings in the beginning. They didn't have a phone they could pick up in the very beginning. So we got to do what they did in the beginning. We got to get actively near people. We got to talk to people. We are, we're blessed because we have telephones and cars and things that we can do. We can pop up and wear a mask and say hello to somebody. Or we can get on a Zoom meeting and have communication with other alcoholics who are suffering the same way we are. We're, we're people who like hugs. You know, you go to a meeting. I miss that. I miss not going to a meeting, getting my hugs and my handshakes and seeing the newcomer and, you know, the parking lot conversations. Well, you know what? But my sobriety is more important today. And what can I do today differently to maintain that quality sobriety, that contented sobriety they talk about in some of our literature? It's... It's doing some different things. I'm picking up the phone 10 times more than I ever did. Uh, I probably talked to about eight people a day about recovery um, because I got to do something. I have to find my way of staying in the middle of Alcoholics Anonymous. If I'm not at a meeting that I normally go to, I probably get a couple phone calls going, where the hell were you at? Oh yeah, you tell us we got to go to meetings. Now you don't show up, you know, that kind of stuff. So I'm constantly uh, doing that. Because of that, the blessings that I have today, because of my active role at Alcoholics Anonymous are phenomenal. I mean, in the pain next to me is my son getting ready to celebrate 20 years of continuous sobriety, okay? The gift of God is that. The gift of Alcoholics Anonymous, what Alcoholics Anonymous did for me, what I could not do for myself, was it carried the message to a young boy who is struggling with the disease of alcoholism and drug addiction, and you guys saved him. You know, you saved him for me. 
because you know son doesn't listen to the dad. <laughs> you don't listen to nothing. But one of you had the common courtesy and the, and the love for this program to sit down and talk to him and carry the message to him as you've done to other people. You don't know where you're going to affect somebody. You don't know the family member, the child or whatever. See, the best the best 12-step call that we can make is to arrive sober, to arrive sober anywhere to represent and, and show that Alcoholics Anonymous work. Because how many people knew us the way we used to be? Yeah, I knew him when. I knew her when. And then all of a sudden they see a drastic change in us. We're not that idiot or that, that, that pompous ass that we used to be. And now all of a sudden they say, what changed in him? And somebody goes, yeah, well, he stopped drinking. He's going to AA. Once again, we represent Alcoholics Anonymous. We may be the only, the only example of recovery that somebody sees. So we must act accordingly. We must act the way that we were supposed to do. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm double-edged sword blessed to be married to a, a wonderful woman of grace and dignity who is in recovery. And today is actually her 24-year anniversary. And I woke up this morning and I gave her a card. And Brian, I hope you called your mom and told her. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I gave her a card and a medallion. And that was a big deal. That's a big deal. Because I watch what she does with her girls. And I watch how the program works in our family. You know, when my daughter was growing up, we were single parent. Brian and I and her sister lived in the same house. And um, what do I know about raising a daughter? What do I know, right? I know these kids need food, clothing, shelter, and those kind of things. So I thought to myself, where do I get the example to teach my daughter about being a woman of dignity and grace? I pulled from the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. I gave her examples and, and introduced her to women who were that, who brought that to my daughter, who gave to my daughter what I could not give. I brought men to my son of honor, men of honor, so that he could learn from them. And I drew that from the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. See, this is a disease that just doesn't affect us. It affects each and every one of us that have family around us, loved ones around us. It's the only disease that tells us we don't have it yet it destroys everybody. So why not take that power when we get in here and use that to mend those relationships that we hurt, those ones who are close, our inner circle, our children, our wives, our husbands, those our, our mom and dads, take that and show them what it is. You know, it's it, this program is more powerful than just for you. It's not just for you. It saves the lives of those that you love as much as it saves your life. It shows those people that, you know, that, that didn't have any faith in you anymore, that knew you were, you were unworthy, or at least in their eyes, they were unworthy. It shows them the change in you. So one day they look at you and they go, you know what? You changed. You are a better person. You are that, you know, you are that person I knew you were inside. It's just your demons took over after you. How does that happen? It's because of the spiritual principles of these steps, you know, the honesty, the, 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 the hope in step two, the faith, I, I mean, uh, the faith in step three, the, the courage in step four, step four spiritual principle is that of courage. 
How much courage does it take to do that fourth step? Step five being that integrity. You know, we base all, I learned the steps on these spiritual principles and I try to teach the men who have come to me the spiritual principles and how they work. You know, a lot of times we don't realize how much of the steps that we're actually working. When we call that sponsor and we ask for help or we call somebody in our network, network's very important. <clears throat> you know, I have, I have today a life that's second to none. I have jingle in my pocket. I, um, I was going through some, and I've gone through many, you know, things, trials and tribulations, as they call them in Alcoholics Anonymous and in my recovery. I've, um, on my third marriage, uh, raised two kids, <laughs> teenagers. Uh, that's why I have gray hair. I've, um, you know, got a long ponytail because I OD'd on Rogaine. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I have got a life second in that though. I was going through some stuff. I, uh, I had some, some um, physical problems, some, some health problems. I'm a cancer survivor. And, you know, that, that takes a lot out of you. And it takes your program, you know, the, my program kicked in where I didn't know what else to do. You know, I didn't have a whole lot of faith in God for a little while there. I was a little doubting, shall we say, you know, that why me? Why me? Why me? Why me? Well, you know what? Why, the only thing I kept hearing, well, why not? Why not you? I've given you all the tools. I've given you the path. I've given you all the people. What else you want? And, and, and you know, for me, that's what I had, to, I had to remember. God has given me everything I need to have a life second to none. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm running powerful on that. I'm running powerful. You know, I've been very blessed in recovery because I've stayed active and in the middle and I've worked the steps and I've always had a sponsor. Well, there was about a year and a half period where I had a really horrible sponsor. It was me. Uh, you know, that self-sponsoring. And uh, I really led myself astray. I, I convinced myself all kinds of things. But I got back on the path. You know, I've had super, super, super great sponsors. My sponsors, one of my sponsors' stories and this is in the new um, version four of the big book. He's, that's the kind of men that I hung around with. You know, those, those of, of, of honor and dignity. And I've learned from them and I've learned from the women in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous because I've always had a strong woman kind of uh, as a, as a I don't, I don't want to say a sponsor, but it's a friend that could give me their point of view. That I could draw from them on perspectives that, that a lot of us guys just don't have. And I've always kept the boundaries and made sure that, that there were boundaries there. And uh, I've been really blessed to have those people. Um, as I say now, I'm married to, the, to my wife, Linda, and she is uh, very active in the program. She brings recovery into our home. I bring a lot of chaos. She brings a lot of recovery. Um, she's very strong, very strong, strong in her program and in her business. She's very successful, educated, you know, raised her own children, had her own house, very strong. And um, we talk program. We, we solve situations through the principles and the, the, the tools that we learned in, in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, but we wouldn't have learned that unless we were in the middle of it. We wouldn't have learned these tools and these things unless we had sponsors and home groups and networks. Now, I also do a lot of work on my spiritual path because I, I attend, we have a, you know some men's spiritual retreats that I go on twice a year. I've been doing it since I got sober. And I do that twice a year in there, you know, called Matt Talbot retreats. And uh, 
if anybody wants to learn any more about it, I can talk to them after the meeting, but it's, it's AA and spirituality and men. And, and it talks about, you know, how I can do that. And I found a great relief and a great um, path in my spiritual program through these men's spiritual retreats and workshops and things like that. And one of the greatest gifts that I was able to give my son in recovery, besides his first sponsor, because I pointed his first sponsor to him, one of my sponsees when he came in, that way I was his grand sponsor and he was really screwed. Um, so what I did was I introduced him to the, the, the men's spiritual retreats. I mean, what a great gift I was able to give to him. What a great thing. You know, my path and how I learned, I was able to, to, to involve him in it. And all my sponsees have gone to these men's retreats. And uh, seek those out if you're having difficulties with your spirituality and the God of your understanding. Um, I've been really blessed to be able to travel in my recovery. I've been to meetings in 26 different countries around the world. Um, I picked up chips in China and South Africa and Korea. I mean, all over the world, I've been able. And here's the thing. I stay in the middle of Alcoholics Anonymous, even when I'm out of the country or out of my own home group. Because what I do is I pick up the phone and I call ahead of the time and I say, hi, my name is James. I'm an alcoholic from America and I'm coming to your town. And I say, can somebody come fetch me? And they do. They come to my hotel. They've come to my hotel. They've taken. I get to see all kinds of things when I was traveling because, you know, AA people are like, hey, let me show you this. Let me show you that. Um, you know, I, I, I got to go in all these different places and I never am alone. And when you're in this room of Alcoholics Anonymous and you're in the middle of this and you have that contented sobriety, you will never, ever, 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 ever be alone again. See, we, we alcoholics, we, uh, we cure loneliness with isolation. You know, I'm tired. I'm lonely and I don't need anybody. I'm out of here. But if you're out there and you're in the middle of it, all you got to do, I don't care what country you go to, there's a meeting. There's an online meeting in the Antarctic. There's two guys down there who are sober. And they get online. This was even before the Zoom meetings. They would have the men's group there online. But I've been able to pick up these groups. And I tell you, you know, one of the beautiful things about this program is the people that you meet and you get to fellowship, like the people I see here now. Uh, I can come back on this meeting. You guys will recognize me just like you recognize Charlie. When you have that ability and you have those kind of things, um, travel is not as scary. Being outside your comfort zone is not as scary because you have people around you that you don't even know yet. You have people that can help you no matter where you are in the world, as long as you're willing to do the work to pick up the phone and find them or pick up a directory and find them or do the work to get there. Um, I had, uh, my wife and I were in, um, uh, a little, little island and, um, there was no meetings there that we knew of. And we were walking down the beach. This was on our honeymoon. We were walking down the beach going, what are we going to do? There's no meetings. You know, we're going to have to like talk to each other and stuff. And, uh, we, we were walking down the beach and I tell you, I swear on my kids' lives, all of a sudden there's this bright blue and pink building with a circle and a triangle on it. I mean, we're walking down the beach. There's no cars on this island. There's no nothing. There's two guys who are sober on the island. One goes, one works nights, one works days. And they had a note up there. If you're in AA and need a meeting, please call us at blah, 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 blah. I did that. The guy showed up like two minutes later going, thank God you're here. I mean, we need something new. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And then I come to find out the guy owns a coffee cigar shop. 
So you know where I spent the next 10 days. You know, we, we, we shared at that shop. We drank coffee all day, smoked cigars, and talked AA. You never know what's going to happen until you make the effort. And that is what my recovery has been based on. Those who know me know that I put out the effort. I reach out. I try to do what I can because of that man who took that time in the very beginning to sit across the table from me, one man to another. He sat across the table and he listened to me and he comforted me and he explained to me and he showed me what the inside workings of Alcoholics Anonymous was about. And for that, I'm eternally grateful. Um, I just want to share a little bit more about um, my journey with God, because I find that it's very difficult for most people in recovery, especially in new recovery, to hear about God. If that, if you're uncomfortable with the word God, that's okay. That's okay. Nothing says that you have to have a wonderful, powerful relationship. What they used to say to us is that the only thing that you have to believe is that there is a God and that it's not you. And see, our spiritual journey starts, it has to have a starting point. You can't be on a journey unless you have a starting point. And see, for me, my sponsor, who was my translator, showed me, he said, he told me, he goes, you know, how many times did you get home from situations not knowing how you got home? How many times was the car there when it shouldn't have been there? How many times did you get out of that turn that you almost missed? You know, he said, what, how do you explain that? And I said, very quickly, autopilot. How many of us were drinking? said, I put the car on autopilot and it got me home. See, that was the starting point for my spiritual journey. Because I experienced that. I could relate to that experience of something else protecting me when I needed protection. You know, we have that feeling. Any of you who grew up in a city or have spent time in a city know you're walking down the street. You just get that feeling. Do not go down that road. Do not turn down that alley, no matter how well a shortcut you think it is. Your gut tells you, don't go down there. What do you think that is? What is that's your autopilot. That was my autopilot. That gut feeling. See, I could understand that. He translated for me what a higher power was into a term that I could understand, which gave me a spiritual starting point on my journey to find God. I still relate to that autopilot. I still get those feelings. I still know that. <clears throat> but at least I had some place to go. Now that I had that starting point, I could start to find out a God of my understanding. The one, see, my God needed to know what it would be like to be lonely in a room full of people who loved you. Because I had criteria for the God of my understanding in the beginning. He also had to know what it was to be horribly, horribly dope sick and not be able to get, get well. He had to understand what it was like to be so angry that you wanted to kill. He had to know what it was like to be so humiliated that you just wanted to crawl up under a rock somewhere. And every time I suggested that to my sponsor, he said, okay, that's good. That's good. That's a good basis for an understanding of a God for you. And that created my journey, which once again, put me deeper into the middle of Alcoholics Anonymous in the long term. Because, because today I have a God that's, you know, my God can take a good cussing. He, ain't that, he isn't that powerful that he can't. He can, see, I always believed there was a God. I just didn't believe that he was that powerful. 
I didn't believe that he was that, you know, interested in me. Today, I have a huge relationship with him. Yes, and he is interested in me. And yes, he is that powerful. And yes, he is, he is the one that I turn to for direction. He was the one I turned to before I came to this meeting. I asked him, please, God, I'll put your words in my mouth, not my own. Keep my ego out of this. Put your, put your ego into it. And, and, you know, I do that today. I never did that. That wasn't who I was. I don't do like a lot of people, you know, they get every day, they get in the morning, they get down on their hands and knees and they, you know, every before they start today, I wish I was that disciplined, but we're not disciplined a lot. Even at 40 years sober, we're not disciplined a lot. I do what I do because my God understands how I do it. I talk to him a lot in different ways and different forms and nobody, nobody can tell me any different. My God to me is what it is. Your God to you is what, what works for you. And I hope you have one. If you don't, you can borrow mine. He's pretty cool. He understands. And he doesn't have thin skin. You know what? If you're going on that journey, stay on that journey. So the God of my understanding. And what I, one other thing I want to say, I want to thank you for the honor, the privilege, of allowing me to get further deep into my recovery, to stay more in the middle of my program, be able to carry a message because when I'm telling you what I'm doing, I got four sponsees on here. You know they're going to keep me in line. I waver just a little bit. They're checking me the whole time. They're, they're making sure. I know Charlie's taking notes because he's going to call me on something. But see, that's how I stay honest. And honest is, honesty is the spiritual principle of step one because when I'm honest, I understand the truth about me. When I understand the truth about me, I know where God is in my world and I know where I am in God's world. And when I know those two things, I can become humble. And when I become humble, I can find a deeper relationship with God. I can be more on my spiritual journey. I hope that for each and every one of you, because you've given it to me and you've given it to my family and you have given it to, to those I love the dearest. So thank you very much for letting me share. I appreciate it.